our neighborhood's on a coyote alert. Oh my gosh. I didn't even know there was such a thing, but I guess there are a bunch in our neighborhood that have gotten some dogs. Oh no. Hello and welcome to episode 126 of Killer Hangover. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of dead dogs. Hello and welcome. <laughs> Gosh, what a segue. Oh, yeah, there was none. There was none. It's just Beth's brain bouncing around. How are you doing, Mom? <laughs> I'm doing fine. How are you? I think I'm losing it. I think I'm absolutely losing it. Everybody is sick all the time. There's so much snot everywhere. <laughs> oh, my God. I thought we were over it. Everything was fine and dandy. The tissues were restocked. The laundry was done. Everything was Cloroxed. And then my four-year-old Nolan woke up with a fever. And we're like, when's it going to stop? <laughs> oh. Okay. Enough about me. This week, we will be covering true crime and paranormal stories in the state of Arkansas. I said that weird. Arkansas. Arkansas. <laughs> I have the true crime. Okay, I do have the paranormal this week, and I have found a very fun cocktail. It's called the Blackbird. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. <laughs> Thank you for that introduction, Beth. <laughs> I don't know why. I hear that. I hear the word blackbird. I think of that song. Well, you'll hear your thing about something else after I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Great. So the blackbird cocktail has Campari, gold Jamaican rum, or sorry, I just used Jamaican rum, coffee liqueur, pineapple juice, lime juice, and rich simple syrup. Sorry, just use simple syrup. I don't know about the rich part of it. So. Mom. <laughs> always has her own little twist to these cocktails. <laughs> of course, you're supposed to garnish it with an orange slice. <laughs> and as you can tell, she's already been drinking this cocktail. Well, I scoff at that because a dear friend of mine, Brenda, she suggested there is a place that you can order garnishes from that are already cut and ready to go. And I'm like, why would we do that? <laughs> So anyway, the instructions are to add ingredients to the shaker, add ice and shake for 10 seconds. Strain into glass with a large rock of ice and garnish with an orange slice or not. It's fine. And then it's it's pretty good. What is the point of a garnish though? Back to garnishes. Is it just to make it look pretty or does it add if you throw the garnish into the drink does it add to the flavor i think it does a little bit mm. it does make it look pretty too mm -hmm. add something to it i know some cool drinks have like that salt rim different color red or black or something and then they roll the side of the glass into it also and it makes it look really cool yeah i just remember those really really cool drinks that we got in uh astoria that we had to chug down really <laughs> I don't remember it. <laughs> Mine was spicy. That's all I remember. Oh, well, <laughs> mom is drinking alone. So <laughs> everybody. Aw, <Aww>. poor mom. <laughs> poor Bettina. Poor 
Poor Bettina. Okay, shall we uh, head on into the episode, Mom? Yep. My true crime story is the horrible abduction and killing of 13-year-old Casey Woody. As I was writing my episode and researching, my brain started ticking. (laughs) It does that sometimes. (laughs) But I called Mom and we chatted and she and I agreed. We have a platform. Let's use it. Casey Woody's death occurred in a way that many of us have been warned of. Actually, I can probably say with most certainty that all of us have been warned of stranger danger before Mm -hmm. in our lives. And as technology and the use of the internet has grown over time, we've all been lectured at and warned of those people on the other side of the screen. The predators. But this warning became all too real for Casey in 2002. But the internet has grown so much in just the last 20 years since 2002. With the rise of online dating and gaming and social media on the internet, our contact with strangers on a day-to-day is at an all-time high. Mm -hmm. According to my research, there are over 100 deaths a year from online dating apps alone. A hundred? Really? Now, I'm not here with a tale of fear-mongering. I'm not trying to deter you from your internet use. But I will say there are ways for you, yourself, and your children to be safe on the internet. The fact of the matter is, the definition of a friend has changed so much over the years. Many tweens or kids that game on the internet have met, quote-unquote, friends there. Where when I was a kid, my quote-unquote friends were those that lived next door or that I saw at school. The fact of the matter is that that has changed. And we can roll our eyes, roll our faces over this, (laughs) but that is what it is. We have to grow to accept that. It's not going to change. But we can also be safe with these new friends on the internet. Again, this may sound like I'm gearing it towards parents, but it does affect so many of us. Do you know what your settings are set to on Facebook or maybe on Reddit or Instagram? What about Twitter? Is your location turned on on Snapchat? I know I myself am not very tech savvy, but my kids have grown up knowing how to use the remote or an iPad since before they could even make full sentences. And that's the norm. They will be on the Internet. They will be making friends on the Internet. And I do the best I can to understand the slang and the process and hashtags and everything the best I can. And I guess that's my advice to parents. Heck, my advice to anyone with friends or family on the internet, just try to understand it. I think it's worth the time to just understanding how some of these things work. It's there. It's a thing now. I kind of, I guess we have to kind of grasp and accept it. We do. We do. I'm just older than you, so it's a little harder for me even. (laughs) I know, and it is. It's. I do not know how Twitter works. I have tried. I tried to set up a killer hangover Twitter, and I mean, I'm in my 30s. I know there's several people in their 30s that know how to use Twitter. I cannot grasp the concept. And she's tried several times. (laughs) She does not give up, and she's tried several times. But I'm not giving up. I'm still on there trying (laughs) to learn how to do everything. You are, sweetheart. Yep. I'm I'm trying. It really scares me to think my children would potentially talk to strangers on the internet. I mean, in some way, shape, or form, they will. Hell, I'm talking to a bunch of strangers right now. (laughs) 
No, it's our killer hangover podcast family. (laughs) But the key when it comes to kids is communication. And heck, I think that could apply to friends, friends of friends on dating apps. Mm. I mean, talk with them. Learn about these people that they're talking to on these dating apps. Mm -hmm. Have a buddy system when they go out on these dates. I, I, again, I'm not going to be a fear. I'm not trying to scare you guys. I just think it's always better to be safe, to be cautious. As my kids have grown, I've done a lot of research on the subject of protecting them from predators on the internet. One big thing is knowledge of the internet in general. Again, knowing your settings, setting them to the privacy you wish. Do you really want strangers coming upon photos of your kids at the pumpkin patch? Or playing in the pool on vacation. By the way, just posting a photo of you all out at dinner or out on vacation while you're at those places can be dangerous if your settings are not on private. Mm -hmm. Or if you are, quote unquote, friends with the wrong person. If they see, oh, the Thompsons are out in Florida this week. That can set up some pretty potentially dangerous situations. I was told in a conference I went to a few months ago about predators on the internet. It's grooming for them. It's starting so easy. Playing some internet game together. Chatting about the game and such simplistic things. Maybe over time the topic of football comes up and they start chatting about sports. And it's mentioned, I love the Baltimore Ravens. Alex is going to kill me when he hears that, but I'm just using an example. (laughs) Maybe you chat about that for a while and the person on the other end asks, oh, you love the Ravens. So do you live in Baltimore? Such a simple question. Very relevant to what you're talking about. Such a harmless question. But is it? What if it's followed with, oh, you do? I used to live there. What school do you go to? I went to da-da-da-da-da. Again, the child, the tween, the teenager feels safe. This person is from here. They know the area. They know a school in the area. This is all harmless, right? Mm -hmm. Teaching your kids young or for those older that use the dating apps and social media, go with your gut. If that question just seems too personal or you're not quite sure you want to answer, don't. You don't have to. A lot of kids, hell, I, I hate being rude. You know that chick from high school that messages you on Facebook? You haven't talked to her in forever, but she saw that your kid was homesick from school. So she wants to message you and chat with you about that oil. (laughs) I use that as an example because I do love essential oils, but (laughs) you all know what I'm talking about. Although annoying, I hate being rude to that person. I envy the people that can just say what they want, but I hate being rude. This quote-unquote friend you've been chatting with online for a while now starts asking these personal questions and may be hard for you or a child to be rude. But teach your kid to be rude. I, I know that sounds so silly, but like... Right, and it's not really rude. It, I mean... But they don't necessarily have to be rude. They, you, you can be nice and friendly, but teach them boundaries. Right. Teach them to change the subject. Teach them to know not to answer personal questions. But if they're asked a question that they aren't comfortable with... Teach them to change the subject. Teach them a response where they return the focus back to the game that they're playing or back to another not-so-personal topic. Teach them, though, too, that they are not forced to continue a friendship with that person either. Again, know how technology works. Block that person if you're uncomfortable. 
Like I stated, we have a platform. We want to use it. No, not all relationships on the internet end in death. I know several people, friends, family members that have married the person that they've hooked up with on a dating app. Yep, several. Friendships, real friendships happen on the internet. I am not knocking the internet. There's beautiful things on the internet to learn, to meet. I am not knocking it. It is not some deep, dark, predatory hole. We shouldn't be afraid of it. Just knowledgeable of it. Mm -hmm. One of the things with Casey Woody's case was that she was vulnerable. She was a young girl, home alone, in the evenings while her father, a single dad, worked. Mm. She had lost her mom at a young age in a horrific car accident. She lived in a small town and dreamed of what was out in the world. She was vulnerable with her emotions and finding someone online in a chat room to connect with. Vulnerable children, tweens, teens, adults, if we are struggling with something, anything, a breakup, our parents just not understanding them, maybe sex and sexuality is being questioned, the internet and those friends on the internet can be where these people turn to. When it comes to kids, I mean, we're heading to that place, especially with me being pregnant, where where do babies come from? <laughs> it's uncomfortable. There are many uncomfortable conversations that we have with our kids. I remember my talk with you. It's uncomfortable <laughs> for everyone involved. I always take them for a walk on the prairie or oh, someplace geez. and talk about it. But you put that discomfort aside and you be there non-judgmentally for your kid, for your friend. Be there. Because if you aren't, if you're just some negative Nancy about that guy your girlfriend's been chatting with on the internet, or if you're just far too uncomfortable about your child wondering about sex and all those questions they're gonna go somewhere else they're for the gonna answers. go search for answers on that internet on the google in the chat rooms and who's to say the information they receive there is correct or by golly even safe okay again i'm not gonna use my platform and lecture at you like i stated at the beginning an open line of communication for parents and their kids is the number one safe thing when it comes to those friends on the internet and kids have been lectured at about stranger danger millions of times. Since preschool. Sometimes we need that reason to give them an open line of communication. Sometimes we need that one thing that forces a conversation or makes them comfortable to chat with us. And again, this does not just need to be our children. It can be our sisters, our brothers, our friends. All this being said, I'm going to share the true crime story this week in a way that you can sit and share this story with your tween. Yes, there is a death, but there is a message that can be shared. I'm going to share the story in a less graphic way than I normally do, so that you can sit and take that drive or whatever you have with your tween, your teen, your friend, and you can listen together. It's totally at your consent, of course, and I don't want you to use this story as a scare tactic. But it's just an example of why it's important to take those safety precautions I have just been chatting about. And by the way, they can still hang on for the paranormal because it's not real scary. <laughs> <laughs> those without kids, you're still getting a true crime story. But maybe you know that girlfriend that has those settings all too public or that guy friend that maybe uses that dating app too willy nilly. 
Just because the tale is going to be told in a less graphic fashion does not mean that a message cannot be shared with adults as well. So all that being said, if you'd like to grab that listening buddy, go ahead. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. And this week I'm going to be sharing with you the horrible abduction and murder of Casey Woody. Casey Woody grew up in a small town, Greenbrier, Arkansas. According to the documentary I watched, Man with a Van, there were 3,000 living in the small community. Wow, that is small. Because of its size, Casey grew up with everyone knowing her and everyone knowing everything about her. She was a little sister to the football star of the town. Hmm. Her father was a well-liked police officer, and her mother had died in a tragic car accident. Driving home one day, a horse had bolted out into the road and crashed through the vehicle's windshield. Oh, geez. Killing Casey's mother. And Casey was very little, and she was in the back seat, and she witnessed it all. <gasps> Holy smokes. And everyone in town knew about this. She was that girl. Besides that, Casey as a person was bubbly. She was fun. She was described by her closest friends as friendly and never shy. She was also very musically inclined and was a very good singer. Being in the choir was a big part of her life. But she was still that little sister of the football star and still the police officer's daughter and still the little girl that witnessed her mom's tragic death. She had just turned 13 and she and her friends were starting to get into makeup and boys. <laughs> that being said, they had grown up with all the boys in their class since they were little and they were a little less appealing. <laughs> Actually, a lot less appealing than the boys Casey, Sam, and Jessica started chatting with online in the chat rooms. Mm. Oh, gosh. So this happened in 2002. Casey was exactly my age. Okay. So if you're around my age, I am. How old am I? 33. <laughs> Close your eyes, all of those listeners around that same age. Can you hear it? Can you hear that dial-up sound? And then that ding of your aim going off. Oh, can you feel the butterflies of how excited you were to sign on and see that crush's name? Like they were online too. Oh, and then that infamous question that would pop up in the chat window in a chat room. ASL. You know what I'm talking about. Mom doesn't. <laughs> Age, sex, location. The fact was Casey was a good student. She would come home from school, do her homework, practice her saxophone, and then she would head to the internet. Like I said, she had an older brother, and then they also had another boy named Eric living with them. He was a friend of her brother's. He had been living with them for a few years, and they were busy with their older teenager lives. Of course. Uh, busy with football, and, mm -hmm. and, um, and Rick, Casey's dad, he worked nights, so... After she did all of her responsibilities, she sat at her computer, waited for that dial-up, and joined the chat room. She chose a Yahoo Christian chat room. She felt that was a safer place. Mm -hmm. She signed in under her model behavior screen name. Uh, she, It was her favorite Disney movie, Model Behavior. Mm. I don't know if you remember it. I do. Again, this is just a total walk-up memory lane for me. Walk down memory lane. Walk up memory lane. Walk down. We're walking You're memory walking lane. Down memory lane. <laughs> <laughs> I 
everything just seems uphill recently (laughs) for me so unless there's super good memories then i guess you go up (laughs) oh okay so she would chat with kids her age from all over the united states and she could just be casey not that girl with the football star brother or that girl who lost her mom tragically nobody felt sorry for her she was casey she wasn't on there pretending to be somebody she wasn't But she could just be Casey. The bubbly, outgoing girl that she was. Exactly. And like I said, she was able to talk to people outside of her little town. People like Dave. Jazzman was his username. A 17-year-old cute beach boy from California. She met him in the Christian youth chat room. He had long, sandy, wavy hair and used surfer terms like groovy and far out. Those are words I use. Please don't ever use those terms. (laughs) I use groovy. (laughs) I know you do. (laughs) He was totally different than the boys she grew up with and that she saw every day. Casey talked to Dave regularly. So regularly, in fact, that the two started chatting on the phone. Her two best friends, Jessica and Sam, even chatted with him on the phone. He was a friend and someone she really grew to trust and open up to. Now, Dave had an aunt that lived out in Arkansas, not too far from Casey, and she was very ill. And the struggle of losing a loved one and the challenges that that brings, Casey opened up about her mom with Dave, and they really connected on those feelings of loss. Dave wasn't the only relationship Casey started in the chat room. Casey also met Scott, a very friendly, sweet boy closer to her age of 13 in Georgia, a sweet southern boy. The two's relationship took off in a whirlwind, and they spoke very affectionately with one another. And it just like, ugh, makes me cringe, because I remember how I used to talk with my 13-year-old boyfriend. Oh, baby, I love you. <laughs> Can I just interrupt here? You said the girls started experiencing, at 13, you know, wearing makeup and started noticing boys. Sweetheart, may I interject and say you started noticing boys in preschool. That was me. I'm just saying, I'm telling her story, not my story, Mom. I know. I just wanted to add that little You just wanted to embarrass me? Thanks. (laughs) They all have heard about Spence Spencer and his big ears. We all know I loved Spence Spencer in preschool with his big ears. I know. They know. Moving on. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay, it wasn't long before the two were calling one another boyfriend and girlfriend. Mm. The two boys knew about each other. Dave and Casey were close. They bonded, but Scott had her heart. Casey lived a very well-rounded life. It wasn't like she was glued to the computer all the time. She had her music, her two close girlfriends, other friends, and then on October 12th at the Fall Festival, Casey won Queen of the Fall Fest for her class. Oh, she looked gorgeous that night, all dolled up in makeup, and she got her. She had her hair all beautiful. She and her friends celebrated her win. It was in the evening times or on the weekends when she would log in and chat with her boyfriend, Scott, and her friend, Dave. One weekend, she had her friend, Jessica, over for a sleepover. The two girls were on the phone with Dave, trying to console him. His aunt's health was getting worse, and he was trying to find a way to get to Arkansas to see her before she died. While the girls were on the phone, they heard footsteps and what sounded like floorboards creaking in the kitchen down the hall. The girls grew a little concerned. No one was supposed to be home, 
Casey's brother was out and her father was working. Who was in their house? The girls panicked and pushed a shrunk in front of the door and stayed on the phone with Dave. He calmed them down over the phone and they sat there quietly listening for more steps. When they heard nothing, they slowly creeped out to find no one was there and nothing was out of place. Although the girls and Dave on the phone had a little giggle over the fright, Something didn't seem to sit right with Casey. A few weeks later, Casey asked her friend Sam if she could stay the night at her house. But it was in the middle of the week. And I guess their buses had a really strict, and I remember my bus in high school had a strict, like you need a signature if you're riding on another bus going to another kid's Mm -hmm, house. mm -hmm. You needed a signature from a parent. And their bus was really strict about that. So... Sam was like, no, I'm sorry, you can't spend the night. And then she asked Jessica, can I spend the night with you? Jessica's like, my mom would never go for that. Like, it's in the middle of the the week. week. Right. And it seemed to both Sam and Jessica that Casey just didn't really want to be alone home that night. But alone she was. That night, December 3rd, Casey was left home alone. Her brother was studying out at the library. His friend Eric wasn't home. And her dad was out on patrol. She was alone. And she took some time to log into AIM and chat with her boyfriend, Scott. The two chatted about their day, and Casey seemed really giddy with Scott. There was a chance for snow. She was so excited. It doesn't normally snow in Arkansas, and there was a chance. And then, around 941, Casey stopped responding to Scott. Later that evening, when Casey's brother returned home from the library, Casey was nowhere to be seen. He quickly called his father. The two were very concerned. Her brother saw that the computer was on and there were some chats open on the screen. One was Scott. He read through their conversation and saw the abrupt stop in the conversation. He messaged Scott. Scott was just as concerned about the situation as her brother was. What happened to Casey? It wasn't long before Rick arrived home, calling Samantha's family home late in the evening. No one knew where Casey was. Around 3.30 in the morning, a detective arrived at the Woody home. Now, Rick, being a police officer, knew that once Casey could not be reached, he should not move things around in his home, he shouldn't touch anything, in case any evidence could be found. Mm -hmm. And the detective did report finding that the living room was in a disarray, and it looked like there had been a potential struggle. Hmm. Casey's glasses were found tossed up on the couch, and now this was only in a few resources. Uh, But a few resources did state that an empty bottle of chloroform was discovered rolled under the couch. Oh, no. The original thought by the detective that Casey had run out or run away was now not even the thought. And the resources that didn't mention the chloroform. Now, remember, the weather was getting yucky out. It was just miserable. It was cold, wet, potential of snow. Uh, And then her shoes were all there. Coat, you know, everything was still at the house. So it just it just didn't make sense for her if the chloroform wasn't evidence found for her to be out and about without any shoes no. or coat or anything. So what happened to Casey? Like in all investigations, investigators will look into those closest to the victim first. They looked into her father, her brother, and the young man Eric who lived with the family. The following day, they then had her two best friends, Sam and Jessica, come into the station for some questions. They asked things like, did she have any enemies? Was she scared of anyone? Was she struggling with anyone or anything? Can you imagine being a young teen being questioned about your missing friend? Mm-mm. I mean, just 
No, terrifying. not thirteen. My goodness. Now, I don't know if it was brought up because of a question the police asked, but the topic of the internet chat rooms was brought up. I don't think the police thought really anything of it, but somehow it got brought up. And they knew that she had been chatting with Scott. So Mm -hmm. they looked into him and their past conversations and they asked the girls about Scott. And then the girls brought up Dave. The girls shared what they knew about the two boys in general. And the police grew very interested in Dave and the ties that he mentioned to having in Arkansas, that he had a sick aunt out there. Mm -hmm. Things just seemed off, almost too coincidental. The girls shared the name Dave Fagan. Like, that's all you got. If you think about this, for the investigators, a name that we can assume is a false name. Mm -hmm. He lived in California, but did he? Yeah. This is where you get kind of scared with that internet stuff. Like, you don't know if that's all true. The fact is that he could be anyone. They chatted online on a daily basis. But who was Dave really? Investigators checked local hotels for the name Dave, or someone who had checked in from California. They found a local motel with a car parked there registered in California. Oh. They were under the name David Fuller. Oh, my gosh. That's close to Dave. But what really tied this guy to the case was the phone number that this David booked the room under matched the phone number that was calling the Woody House over the last few months. Oh. The motel room was entered. They found his laptop. With proof that he had been planning this trip, this attack, this abduction for a long time now. Really? He had nurtured Casey. He had her open up to him, had groomed her to trust him. Over the long time the two had chatted, she had shared so much with him, and he was learning things. Not just her likes and dislikes and that she was struggling with her mom's death or that she didn't like to be alone at night, but her schedule. The fact that she was home alone at night. He started to plan this attack the moment the two started chatting. Oh, jeez. David was nowhere near 17 like he claimed. He was 47. He had conned all of them. Police had to find David. A team got the room next door to stake out the motel. Investigators discovered that a rental company had delivered a van to David. Oh, no. They also dug into his credit card records and found that he had rented a storage unit nearby as well. The SWAT team headed to the storage unit. When they arrived, they found the unit was unlocked and the door was slightly opened. And inside the unit, they heard a running motor. Before officers could open the door to get inside, a gunshot rang out from inside the unit. For three hours, SWAT stood outside the unit, calling for David to come out with his hands up. But after no movement, they went in to discover both David and Casey, both deceased. The shot officers had heard was a self-inflicted gunshot. Casey was found in the back of the van. Casey's abduction and death changed the small community. This was a pedophile a scary man in California and he found a young girl in rural America. It was proof that anyone can fall victim. Police discovered maps of the area drawn by David. 
They actually believed that he was at the crowning at the fall festival when no. she was crowned queen. Oh, my God. And they are suspicious of the floorboards and footsteps she heard in her house that day. Mm-hmm. They're pretty sure this was his second attempt. His second time there. But she was there with a friend. And so he didn't do anything the first time. He had photos of Sam and Jessica. He knew their names, their addresses, their phone numbers. He conned all of them. He was not only chatting with Casey. He was talking to many other young girls across the country. Oh, my gosh. Casey's life was lost. But others were saved in this discovery. Sharing her story is important. Sam and Jessica, Casey's best friends, went around to local high schools sharing Casey's story for years. Everyone can be vulnerable. Everyone needs a listening ear for their problems or a bad day. Everyone needs someone to bond or connect with. It's a human necessity. It's a human need. And there's nothing wrong with finding that person on the internet. Nowadays, we find and date strangers from apps and such on the internet. It's a common thing to chat with strangers on the internet, to make friends on the internet. But we need to be safe. We need to have caution. We need to be careful. I can't and I don't want to sound like I'm victim blaming with that statement. I was just like Casey. I chatted with so many strangers on the internet in chat rooms. You never think it can be you. You never think it will happen to you. But the fact is, it can. The fact is that it happens all too often. We don't know who's on the other side of the screen. I'm not trying to scare you with these numbers, but I have some numbers for you. In 2020, the FBI received 365,348 reports of missing children. Oh, no. 82% of child sex crimes in the United States started on social media. Holy smokes. Cyber tip line. It's a place where children can report anonymous instances of online threats. In 2020, the tip line received 21.7 million (gasps) reports. Oh, my gosh. This same article on screenandreveal.com stated that over 65% of online sex offenders turn to social media. Your social media sites like Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, and Twitter. This shares prospective victims' habits, routines, and their locations. Quote, as many as 82% of child sex crimes stateside originate from social media, investigations and arrests have shown. 82%. Now, this isn't just kids sharing too much. Parents, you also share photos of your kids, your kids' school, your kids' uniforms and their athletics, school activities, after-school stuff, everything about your kids on social media. It can all be tracked. Just a profile picture can be seen. Again, I'm not here to scare y'all. I'm just sharing a story of the potential threats If we don't check those privacy settings, if we don't maintain safety and concern while we use the Internet. Oh, my heart is just so achy right now and full of I'm sorry, I don't hate, but uh, that man. uh. And unfortunately, there's many more. Yeah, there are. Davids out there. Oh, well, 
daughter, I really needed the drink during your story. Yeah. And again, I'm not trying to scare everybody. I just think people need to be aware of the potentials. And again, I need to end this on a brighter note, too. The Internet is not some scary deep hole of just darkness. There's plenty of good things on the Internet. Great things on the Internet. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's fun. You know, Facebook is fun because people that I knew in high school would all of a sudden out of the blue contact me. Facebook can be fun. Oh, birthdays. I love my birthday on Facebook because you hear from so many different people and they're just wishing you a happy birthday. It just makes me, I mean, it just makes me so happy. I love um, watching my old girlfriends from high school, watching their kids grow up and the pictures that they post. Yep. I mean, I, I enjoy all of that. I enjoy connecting with people on the Internet. But honestly, had you not pointed out my privacy settings initially were open, I, had, mm-hmm. sh- I didn't even think about that. That's the but other just thing. just being knowledgeable help, of the Internet. I mean, just help each other out, too. Yeah. You know, like you said. All right, I'm going to totally change things. Okay, (laughs) please. But this is a fun paranormal, okay? I When Beth and I talked about this, we both decided that I wouldn't do something scary. I would do something fun just in case there were some tweens listening. No, it's it's still scary a little bit. (laughs) Oh, my. Oh, my. Are we going to be taught something today, Mom? Oh, it's just fun. Hang with me. Okay. Oh, no. 31 miles south of Branson in Boone County is a small village called Self. S-E-L-F. Now, I was just around that area. And dang, I wish I would have known about it before then. Because I looked at a map and we were maybe a half hour from Self. Dang it. Out, right outside of Self is the Devil's Hole Cave. Devil's Hole, well, this Devil's Hole, as I found out there are the many. The Devil has many holes? The many, <laughs> there are many around the world. Oh, no. <laughs> but this one in Arkansas is an unexplored cavern where strange things have happened. A long time ago, in the 1900s, the owner of the land stumbled upon the cave. Well, of course he had to check it out, right? He climbed down a rope about 200 feet to a ledge. Looking round in the very dim light, he found that if he wanted to investigate further, he would have to crawl through a narrow shaft. I think we've talked about this before. Beth and I probably would not even have gone down into a dark cave. Nope. But anyway, this guy had a was a lot more courageous. While debating with himself if he should go or not go, his decision... You never w- not go. You Wait. You always not go. <laughs> you never if not you have go. A debate, if you have a debate to go or not go, you don't go. <laughs> yeah, that not go might be a little indicator. If you're indicator. invited out to socialize, you're like, eh, just don't go. <laughs> well, Says he, the homebody. <laughs> he didn't have to make the decision. Someone made it or something made it for him. Coming from somewhere in the dark recesses of the cave was a loud, frightening, hissing sound. So you don't go. (laughs) My mind, of course, goes directly to... Snakes. Right. I thought maybe it was like a bundle. I guess you... I don't know what you call them, but... Mom, stop. (laughs) 
and the toes are curled. <laughs> Snakes. But the hissing is described as something a very large lizard would do. Lizards hiss? I didn't know that either. <laughs> I guess they must hiss. Wow, you are teaching us something. <laughs> the man got the heck out of there as fast as he could. A short time later, the man and several of his friends, who, of course, he told the story to, they got together and they tied a flat iron to rope and sent it down the cave. Now, of course, my mind goes to oh, what was the flat iron? Do you know what a flat iron is? Mm-mm. Well, I looked it up on the Google. On the internet? See, you learn things on the internet. <laughs> you do? But I didn't because <laughs> the only thing they showed was a flat iron that you use on your hair. Like a straightening iron? <laughs> That's the only thing they used. I go, I'm pretty sure they didn't. So how did, okay, how did he use the flat iron? He tied it, the, him and his friends tied it to a rope and put it down into the cave. Why? Until it landed on the ledge. Because they wanted to see how deep the cave goes. They wanted okay, to so see. Okay, so they just added some kind of a weight. From what I could figure out, sort of, kind of, was it's a it's a flat piece of metal that's used to heat something. Um, it is not a curling iron. So I don't but they just added weight to the rope so that it would and fall it, and, straight. And it was metal and it would fall straight. Correct. And I have no idea how big a flat iron is. So, you know, anybody listening, if you could inform me what a flat iron is. And again, please, not the hair thing. I would love to know. She would love to know. I would because now, you know, I started researching and it's like. Does it have like a really big part in the story, mom? Yeah, it does because. Oh, (laughs) I was like, because if it doesn't, why do you care so much? After it hit the ledge, it lay there for a few minutes with nothing happening. And then all of a sudden there was a strange hissing sound again. From the metal? There was a strange hissing sound again and a strong tug on the rope. The men tried to pull the rope up, but whatever was at the end was stronger than they were. Eventually, it let go and the men were able to hoist the rope or the flat iron back up. Well, how big is this thing? Because it's probably just stuck between some rocks. Uh, It landed on the ledge. It landed flat on the ledge. And there were, I guess there weren't rocks around the ledge. How do they know it was down so low? Well, I'll tell you how they knew. (laughs) Because the flat iron had been mangled with teeth and claw marks. She's looking at me very befuddled. That's why I want to know what a flat iron is. It's just stuck between rocks. With teeth and claw marks? Just scratch marks. But a flat iron, I believe... That's, this is why I want to know what it is. <laughs> wow. She's is, is is iron. You can't just bend it. And this thing was all mangled. Yeah. Now Beth is going to look and she's going to see a bunch of hair stuff. Although frightening, of course, the men's curiosity rose. As Alice said, curiouser and curiouser. They decided to drop something else down into the cave. But it had to be stronger than iron. They found a large rock. Okay, I'm finding, oh, yeah, if you go on my Google, go straight to shopping. So uh, it's, I put in old flat iron metal is what I searched. And it's trying to sell me a clothing iron, cast iron, clothes iron. Yep, that's not what it is. See what I mean? I guess. See, see, see. I haven't asked the principal because I was subbing and I... Ask the principal, do you know what a flat iron is? <laughs> he just looked at me like, 
But anyway, then I told him why I was wanting to know, and he got really interested, and he goes, well, I'll get back to you on that, because I'm going to research that. Did he get back to you? <laughs> By the end of the day, he still hadn't, hadn't found out what a flat iron was. <laughs> so I have a few people looking for me. Wow. <laughs> Who will it be? Who will give the response she's looking for? Hey, I'm so going to give a shout out to whoever tells me what a flat iron is. Okay, so they tied, they found a large rock and securely tied the rock to the rope and dropped it into the cave. How long, are, how far are they dropping this down? How big is this cave? Well, he went 200 feet down. Isn't that what I said? I don't remember. Sorry. That's why I asked. <laughs> I only told you this. Yep, 200 feet down to the ledge. But this is just a ledge. It could go further down. No, the only where the only place you could go after the ledge was through that t- that tight oh. space. Oh, okay. Supposedly from what he saw. Okay. So they dropped the rug, uh, the rug. <laughs> that would be stronger. Flying carpet. <laughs> and shortly after the rock touched the ledge, they felt a strong tug again. The men felt the tug lighten. It didn't take very long. And they pulled the rope up, and that's all they pulled up. There was no rock. Hmm. Got stuck between rocks again, <laughs> and then the rock slipped out. I'm solving this case for you. Go I, on. I think it would have been really hard for the rock to slip out because they tied it securely. I mean, they had it fastened. Mm. Just mm-hmm. saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it shouldn't surprise you that no one was willing to go into the cave after what happened to the flat iron and the rock. The creature, it seemed, preferred the darkness of the cave. And as long as the humans above ground didn't bother it, the creature didn't seem to bother them. The villagers believed that the creature was some kind of bizarre giant lizard and called <laughs> it the Goro. Supposedly, it was Guru? named G-O-W-R-O-W. Gowro. <laughs> Gowro. Supposedly, like a cat. Wow. <laughs> 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 Supposedly, it was named this because of the sound it made when it hissed. So it is. There's a big cat down there. <laughs> row, row. How do you even hiss that? Row. <laughs> How do you hiss that, though? <laughs> you can't. You can't, you can't hiss, that. hiss a grr sound. <laughs> All right, everybody. We're giving you a chance. Give it a shot. No matter where you are listening to this, grocery shopping at the gym, give it a shot. (laughs) Tom usually listens to our our episodes at the gym while he's working out so I can see him lifting weights going. (laughs) You can because I see him just rolling his eyes and turning the podcast off. Fast forwarding. When's the end of this? (laughs) I listened all the way through. All right. The villagers may have gotten it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You think? No, but why they got it wrong is because, according to the creaturecodex.tumblr.com website, quote, the creature looks something like a scaled spiny kangaroo, tall as a cottage. It has a drooping face with long tusks pointing downward, webbed and clawed hands and feet and a long tail ending in a Sith-like blade. Hold the phone. (laughs) Is this 
All we've gotten down there is a flat iron and a rock. (laughs) How do they know that this is what this person, this thing looks like? Now, that is what a Groro is, okay? So these people supposedly got the name from the sound the lizard was making when it hissed. But there is actually a creature called a Groro. And I just described it. Now, I don't know how. kangaroo with tusks? I don't know how that would fit. It's not a lizard. I can't. I don't know how that would fit. Does it hiss? Down into the thing. But listen, it goes on. The Groro, as a Groro, as stated on the website, is a powerful predator of marshes and swamps. Well, that's not in a cave. (laughs) They are cunning with an animal's intellect. They use their Sith-like tails to cut down trees and dam rivers and streams in order to gather their prey. There are no trees or rivers or streams in this cave. (laughs) Okay. Now, it beats me how people come up with these descriptions, but I think it would be kind of fun to do. It's sort of like naming crayons and, and nail polish. What I think you that do would be... is you grab your six-year-old and you say, yeah, create yeah. a beast. Create this. I mean, I think it'd be kind of fun to do. Anyway, okay, I digress. But as you can tell, these creatures have nothing to do with the creature living in the devil's whole cavern. So what is it? Just to add even more to this story, 303 miles away from self is Hannibal, Missouri. From there comes the story of a landowner finding and checking out a cave he found on his property. The difference was that this landowner didn't make it back up. When friends finally found him, he was alive, but his hair had turned completely white, and he was wildly insane. Why? No one knows, as the man could no longer speak coherently. Well, how long was he in the cave? (laughs) I think anybody would go crazy getting stuck in a cave. I think it was just a few days, but it sounds, or maybe, maybe just 48 hours. It sounds like he was down there for probably a year. (laughs) He wasn't down there that long. Okay, I got more for you. I got more. Now, I just want to share because you guys know, y'all know that I love trivia stuff, like weird trivia stuff. So I found some. Oh, boy. (laughs) In Prescott, Arkansas, a traveling salesman named Mike. Yep, that's all we know. Mike. He was embalmed (laughs) and put on display outside of a funeral home. His corpse put on display. His corpse was nicknamed Old Mike. He died in 1911 and was finally buried in 1975. Okay, so hold on. These facts have nothing to do with no. what you were just sharing with us. No. Okay, because no. I'm seeing. I'm trying to find the connection here. So right now there you've no connection, totally connection. moved on from the devil's yeah, hole. That's why I said I'm just going to give you some Arkansas trivia. No cave. Was he just like a super salesman or something? Because like, <laughs> no, he was a traveling salesman and he died. They embalmed him and put him out <laughs> in front oh. of the funeral home. Okay. You know, they used to do really weird things back in the day. In 1927, there was a really bad flood that totally devastated millions of acres of Arkansas farmland. So the Arkansas legislature responded by making it illegal for the Arkansas River to rise higher than the Main Street Bridge in Little Rock. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. 
So what are you supposed to do if it's who gets in trouble if it does rise? The river. <laughs> do they put it in jail? Like, what do they do? Do they fine it? <laughs> do they fine the county where it rises? How do you no. stop it from rising? <laughs> exactly. It's just, you just build stupid. a whole like that. Doesn't okay. make any sense. Arkansas has its own Bigfoot, of course. Okay. <laughs> Complete with multiple sightings and hair-raising tales. It's called the folk. Fuck. Whoa. <laughs> Mom, I did not say that word. Watch <laughs> your language. F-O-U-K-E, monster or boggy creek monster. Okay. I just got a few more of these. Okay. <laughs> Since the 1950s, Arkansas has been trying to help its native bear population rebound. Which is a good thing. So it's illegal to kill a bear in Arkansas under the right circumstances. No, wait. Let what? me go back. <laughs> it's illegal to kill no. them under the right circumstances? No. Somehow it's become... I mean, this is... That's not... <laughs> that doesn't surprise me since they're going to find the river. Somehow it's become totally legal... Even though they're trying to build up the population, it's become totally legal to kill a bear in Arkansas under the right circumstances. But it is illegal to wake one up with flash photography. <laughs> oh my God, she's cracking herself up. You're laughing over there too. I'm laughing at you. But who's going to like tattle on you for waking up the bear? <laughs> the bear. <laughs> He's going to go the same legislation that the river does. (laughs) Okay. For those of you who love cheese dip. Oh, my God. We are really (laughs) going all over here. Okay. Just some information on cheese dip. It did not come from a different country. Cheese dip was invented by Blackie Donnelly, a native of North Little Rock. I love cheese dip. I know you do. And I just wanted to inform you that it didn't come from the Netherlands or from Never France thought or, it did. Okay. <laughs> came from Arkansas. I've actually never sat and wondered where my cheese dip originated. Really? Mm-mm. See, I like trivia. So I have wondered. All right. This is where I get the name of the cocktail. Because notice, I've not mentioned blackbirds at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. January 1st, 2011. The residents of BB, Arkansas, woke up, some probably with hangovers, but as a whole, ready to start the new year. You know, the old resolution thing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The people with hangovers probably woke up and said, I'm never going to touch a drink again. That's my resolution. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the case, when they looked outside and ventured out, they found at least 1,000 red-winged blackbird bodies lying in their yards, in the street, and on rooftops. Oh my gosh, it's like the birds. What the heck had happened? Observing from the air, it was estimated that the birds had dropped within within a one-mile section of BB. The Arkansas Game and Fish Commission sent a wildlife officer to the town. He collected 65 of the little bird bodies, which were sent to Arkansas Livestock and Poultry Commission Lab for analysis autopsies, actually called necropsies, when you autopsy, quote, autopsy an animal, that's what it's called. The necropsies began on the bodies on 
January 3rd. Strangely enough, this incident is not common, but is also not unheard of and is often caused by lightning strikes or high altitude hail. How many birds? 1,000. So the necropsy showed trauma and head injuries, which of course could have happened in the air or impact with the ground. But in this case, in the case of the BB birds, there was no lightning on New Year's Eve and no hail. So I'm going to ask you, what is your best guess as to why the birds were startled from their roost. Do you have an answer or are we all just guessing? I have an answer to this one. Mm. The fireworks? Yep. New Year's Eve. Usually people set off fireworks. And it is thought, is concluded that the fireworks caused them to die from stress. Oh, that's really sad. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's how you're ending this? No, there's more. The town was cleaned up by 11 a.m. It's estimated that altogether there were 2,000 birds collected. Oh my gosh, that's a lot. In an unrelated incident on December 30th of the same year, so one day before that, a tugboat operator found a slew of dead fish along the Arkansas River in Franklin County. And that's about 125 miles northwest of Little Rock. It was estimated by officials that around 100,000 drumfish have died along a 20-mile stretch. Now, this was not due to fireworks or anything else. This was due to a disease, I guess, that only the drumfish were able to catch. But 100,000 dead fish washing up on the shore. Cool. Or floating in the river. That river better watch itself. Yeah, and only within a 20-mile stretch. That's really sad. Poor drumfish. Poor drumfish. I don't even know what a drumfish looks like, but there you go. That's all I got for you. That's what you're ending on? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I probably should have reversed that and put the bears last. I don't even know what to say. Uh, Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Mom. Yes, daughter. That'll be all. Where can people find us? <laughs> There's going to be a link in the description of this episode, but you can find us on KillerHangoverPodcast.com. We are on the social medias, Facebook, Instagram. If you have any questions about joining Patreon or if you'd like to join Patreon, the link to that will be in the description of this episode. You can download the Patreon app and just look for Killer Hangover Podcast. Uh, or like I said, if you want the link, we can email it to you. Killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. Let mom know what the heck a flat iron flat is. Iron is. <laughs> uh, and if you have any recommendations or any questions or if you want questions, like we know the answers, obviously. Uh, or if you <laughs> I have, don't even know what a flat iron is. If you'd like us to cover a story or if you... If you want to just let us know what you think about different stories, your opinions on cases, please don't ever hesitate to reach out to us. Again, that's killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. Well, I hope I made you laugh because Beth's story sure was eye-opening and extremely sad. Um, So I hope I brighten things up a little bit for you. (laughs) I don't know. I'm curious what a drumfish looks like. I'm about to Google that here in a second. All right, Mom. It was a good one. Cheers. Cheers. Love you, kid.